So why don't you grab your Bibles, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 17, continue our journey through the book of Acts, and before we launch into the passage, the message this morning, let me pray for us today. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you that it is a light and it is a lamp, it is able to lead, guide, to correct us as we lean in and give us, as your word so often encourages us to have ears to hear what it is that you're saying to us. Lord, I pray that this would be a season of stirring, a season where there's a fresh reality of your spirit at work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we don't want to let any season go without grabbing a hold of what you have for us personally and as your church at this time. We thank you that you're at work. May we see that. May we grab a hold of it. May you do what you desire in our hearts and our lives, even this day. We pray that in your wonderful name, King Jesus. Amen. Can you say amen if you haven't already? Can you give us a shout out as well, wherever it is that you're tuning in from? I think we had someone as far away as, was it Uganda last week? So fantastic. From Uganda to Jerobombra to Royala and the suburbs of Canberra, wherever it is, let us join together to seek the Lord. So Acts 17, of course, we are now at a passage of Scripture. We've just moved from last week as Adam preached and proclaimed what is one of, I think, the most wonderful stories in the book of Acts, and it's where Paul and Silas find themselves in the midst of a prison cell and in that dark, damp place rather than turning to pity. Either we turn to pity or we do as they did and we turn to praise. And it's the prison that becomes the place of God's powerful deliverance as the very building is shaken and the prisoners are set free and the Word of God is proclaimed. And one thing that I love about the book of Acts as we work our way through is that it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always straightforward. It wasn't always clear cut. Even as they followed the leading of the Lord, there was struggles, there was opposition. And just because we enter into seasons where there are challenges doesn't mean that the Lord is not there. It doesn't mean that the Lord is not leading us through. In fact, the very opposite is true. Jesus said, in this world. There will be trials and tribulations. There'll be ups and downs. There will be struggles and there will be stuff that happens. But he says, take heart for I have overcome the world. And I take great encouragement from this this attitude and reality that we see in Paul and Silas through the book of Acts, but through all the heroes of the faith from the beginning of Scriptures to the end, that the darker times got, the more people grabbed a hold of what they had in Christ, the more supernatural the church got, and the more that the Lord shone brightly as a light in the midst of dark places. You see, there is this reality that we were born for this moment, The darkness and the the trials and the tribulation, they don't dampen the church. They set the church on fire. And that's my prayer for us. That's my desire in the midst of the season. Not that we turn to pity, we lean into discouragement, but we lean into the Lord, seeking and pursuing what He has for us and seeing all that He desires be accomplished in this time and this, this 
era. And I'm presuming you're amening with me there along. You can put in, post in an amen. So moving on from Acts 16, this wonderful account, we see Paul and Silas continue their journey. It says they head to Thessalonica. And there Paul begins to preach in verse 2. It says, as was his custom, he, he began to, to teach the people. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. This is verse 3 now, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying this, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And I love that certainty as we go through the book of Acts. You know, there's no dampening down of the message. There's no you know, reality or need for them to somehow culturally tone it down or change the heart of the message. The message remains unchangeable. They knew what it was that they were called to preach. And it's the very same message that you and I are called to preach, that there is a Christ. There is a God who has come. There's a God who's made a way, and it is in his name alone that we find salvation. Now, interestingly enough, this message at this particular time in Thessalonica is not well received. And if we jump down to uh, verse 6, it says here that the city gathers together when they could not find them, being Paul and Silas. They dragged Jason, one of the other believers, and some of the other brothers before the authorities, shouting this. I love this phrase. It's too good not to mention. This is what they're shouting. This is their accusation. These men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, obviously, they meant that as an accusation. But what a wonderful prophetic proclamation of the reality and the outworking of the call that Paul and Silas had. They'd come and turn the world, not upside down, but the right way up. And as Adam alluded to last week, you know, there is, there is this truth that the gospel is a message. It, it doesn't just fit nicely within the paradigms and the ways of thinking of, of our lives. It just doesn't. It, it has this capacity to turn everything upside down. It, it unsettles, it confronts, it radically changes, it rearranges, it exposes the falsehood of our own lives, revealing the truth of who He is. So they're accused and they're sent on, and we read then after having had a, a very negative response in Thessalonica, it says in verse 10, the brothers then send Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they did the same thing they did. Every time they went into a city, they began to teach whoever would listen the good news of the gospel. And it says this in verse 11, chapter 17, this will be our focus this morning. It says, now these Jews, being the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in and for this reason, it says, they received the word with all eagerness, but examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, who, of course, had gathered against them and seen them thrown out of the city. For this reason, they received the word with all eagerness, but examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So let's just think about this proclamation. It's interesting to me that as we read through the book of Acts, there's many different responses, isn't there? We've just seen two extreme contrasting examples. People who'd heard the gospel and rebelled against it. 
people who'd received the gospel openly. There were some who believed. There were some who opposed everything that Paul had to say. But there's only one example in Scripture where a group of people is given a, a specific and a special commendation. They are mentioned specifically to be of noble or to to have had a noble response to the gospel. Let's just think through that for a moment. What what does that mean? I mean, to be noble, really, that word means that they stood apart. Traditionally, nobility, of course, came down to your bloodline or your heritage. In modern society, we might think of someone who was noble as someone who'd done incredible exploits, someone of, of great character. It's someone who stands above the rest. So Luke, as he pens this, he says, these, these people, they really stood out. He gives them special commendation, special recommendation because of these two separate realities. They received with eagerness. They were open-minded. They said, we, we want to hear. We, 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 want to, we, we know perhaps there is something we can learn from what it is that you're proclaiming and preaching. They received with an eagerness, with a readiness, and yet they also examined what it was that they heard. And it's, it's interesting as you read through your Bible, this passage, Acts 17, 11, I can't read this particular portion without thinking of a, a gentleman by the name of Chuck Missler. I know uh, a number of you probably would be aware of his ministry, and we grew up in my household listening to a lot of his teaching. In fact, we had a good family friend who was involved in the distribution of his materials, and uh, he actually came and spoke at our church some years ago. Now he's, of course, passed and gone to be with the Lord in recent years. But he had this phrase and this expression. He was a Bible teacher. He loved the Word of God. And every time he'd begin a Bible lesson, he said, now before we begin, I want you to write in the top, the top of your notepad, Acts 17.11 is exactly how he would phrase it. And he said, I want you to write it for this reason, because that is the Bible verse that tells you not to believe anything that Chuck Missler says. He said, don't just believe it because I say it, but examine for yourself whether these things are true. And so I put that out there just because that always echoes in the back of my mind. I can't get over it. But let's have a look at those two different elements. We see here, first of all, this receiving with eagerness. And there's a comparison, isn't there? Luke, as he pens this, he's giving us a comparison between the Bereans and the Thessalonians, those from Thessalonica. And we read, not only did they not, were they not interested in hearing what it was that Paul and Silas had to say, but if you read on, it says, as the words being proclaimed in Berea, this is in verse uh, 13, it says, when the Jews learnt that the word of God from Thessalonica was being proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. You see, not only was it enough for them to refuse the message, they had to go out of their way to make sure that Everybody else who potentially could hear the message was also shut down. Kind of has some similar undertones, doesn't it, to the society that we live in today. It's free speech as long as you're saying what we want you to hear. Now, there's this intentional shutting down, this intentional narrow-mindedness, this stonewalling, this inherent need, if you like, to shut down, to quench, to oppose any other view other than our own. And... As, as I have 
navigated this season. You know, there's been a number of things that have kind of frustrated me, and it's always a good time to air your frustrations in the middle of a sermon. But one in, in recent times has been this. It seems funny to me. It's a personal bugbear that it seems like everybody has become an instant expert. Everybody's become an instant expert on every topic, mind you. Now, experts don't quite seem to be what they used to be. It doesn't seem like that bar of expertise has been set very high. And in fact, if you can't find an expert to agree with your views, it seems that you can become your own expert, can't you? Well, I've done the research. I'm now an expert on this particular topic in question, so I might as well take the title upon myself. And we could talk, and I don't want to to uh, digress into any specific issues, but you can, partic- you can pick any issue that's floating around in today's society and find 15,000 experts, all with completely opposing views. My point to raise that is, if this season is showing us anything, this is where we're getting to this morning. If there's one thing this season is showing us, it's that we don't have all the answers. If that is a news break, then I'm sorry to break that to you. We don't. The government doesn't have all the answers. We don't. And we are not nearly as in control of anything as we would like to be. See, we don't have the answers, but you know what the wonderful reality of Scripture says to us and proclaims to us? We don't, but He does. And that's why there's passages like Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. It says this, trust in the government, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. It says elsewhere in Scripture, at best we see in part and we prophesy in part. That's why our understanding is not always, it's not a bad thing in and of itself, but it's not always going to be infallible in the same way that He is infallible. Trust in Him. Don't always lean on your own understanding. You are not the self-proclaimed expert that you'd like to perhaps Believe that you were. The only certain hindrance to receiving truth is the belief that you already have it. You see, we're we're in this reality, this closed-mindedness, this narrow-mindedness, this reality of a, a society that's moved truth from some external reality to an internal reality where I become the judge and jury of what is right. There's no other views because I determine for myself. And it's interesting, as I've kind of wrestled through where this comes from, I think it comes from this belief, this false belief that we need to be in control. Let me unpack that for a few moments. See, there was a recent study, and by recent, I mean this is pre-COVID, so it's probably four or five years old now, but there was a, a bunch of different think tanks that got together And they did this study really to try and investigate and unpack why it was that so many millennials and Gen Zers, so the younger generation, and they're talking about uh, young adults' age here, when they hit the workforce, they stumbled into all sorts of different categories and areas of mental 
mental illness. And in fact, there was big employers who were behind this. Cisco had over 100,000 employees and they had at different times between 10 to 20% of their employees who were largely this younger generation who were all accessing some form of mental health treatment. And they did this large study to try and to, to unpack and discover what is it that's behind it? What is some of the driving forces? And there's all sorts of different interesting correlations that came out of the study. But one particular research professor by the name of Peter Gray from Boston College, this is in the US environment, he summarized some of the results as this. He said what he felt was the biggest contributing factor is, in his own words, the changing internal locus of control. Now, very quickly, I'll explain or summarize his particular theory in this way. He said, previous generations were far more fatalistic. See, there was this recognition that you are a small cog in a much bigger world, that there are things that are outside your control. Whereas he said, the younger generation from the earliest age are told a very different message. Is, well, no, you, you are the cog. You are the system. Everything is about you, and you have the capacity and the need to control every part of your own existence. And from the youngest age, everything becomes controlled. The way we communicate, the parts we share, the things we edit, the friends we interact with. It's the Photoshop, Instagram, cookie-cutter, micro-controlled society. Now, Peter Gray concluded that he said the problem is that that is not the real world. We grow up in this environment. We've fostered this child-directed learning. It's you, you're the center. You control, you manage everything. And then all of a sudden, you discover in the real world, there are things that are outside your control. And when we hit troubled times, when circumstances are hard, when the job gets tough, there is no grid, no capacity to cope. Now, there's many other factors that came out of that particular research study. But for our particular purpose, that was one that he held as being of great significance. The internal, the changing internal locus of control. In fact, his conclusion, he says this, as a result, many young people, a younger generation are lost. His call, of course, he's coming from a secular point of view, is for radical changes to the education system. We need to be exposing them. We need to be you know, giving them a reality that's bigger than themselves. Now, I make that point and give us that emphasis for this particular reason. One of the most freeing realities is this recognition that we don't have all the answers sounds completely contrary to everything that the society puts upon us. You've got to figure this out. You've got to have yourself completely worked out and everything you believe worked through. One of the most freeing realities is that I don't have all the answers. And the heart of the gospel is not for me to try harder. It's to trust harder. It's not just to lean upon my own understanding but it's to lift my eyes away from myself and to look to Him. Let's learn from possibly, arguably, the greatest man who ever walked the planet, certainly a hero of the faith, the Apostle Paul himself. He says this in Philippians 4. He says, 
Verse 11, he says, I've learnt in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learnt the secret to facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. And he, perhaps more than anyone else I can think of, he knew those extremities. He knew what it was to be in a prison cell. He knew it was to be held up as a great evangelist and see you know, mass conversion of entire regions as the Gospels proclaimed. He knew the extremities, the highs and lows of life. And he said, I've learnt the secret. I've learnt the secret how to abound in all of those contrasting circumstances. And verse 13 is that secret. He says, this is the secret. I can do all things through what? Through thinking harder, through trying harder, to leaning into my internal sense of self-worth and support. He says, none of those things. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Him. See, there is this wonderful recognition that we see here in Acts chapter 17 with these Bereans as they were a people who knew the need and the importance there was at leaning in, leaning in to him to see what it is that he might say. Very quickly, here's the second part. Not only did they lean in, not only were they willing to learn. We don't have the, the, all the answers. We want to lean in and find out what God would speak to us. It says that they listened well. They didn't just take everything on board without thinking. This is, again, this is Paul who's preaching the gospel. I mean, we can presume it's a, it's a pure gospel. It's a good message. But even then, Luke commends them for not just taking what Paul said because Paul said it, but of examining him. The, the word there in the Greek, it's the same word we see in Luke 23 as Herod examines Jesus. It's the same word the Sanhedrin, as it's used as the Sanhedrin examines Peter and John in Acts 4. Same word as Felix who examines Paul in Acts 24 verse 8. It's, the picture is of a trial. Put the, put the evidence on, on trial. Examine the arguments. Do the research. Wrestle through. Ask the questions. Establish the truth, it's in the wrestling that these things go deep. James puts it this way in James chapter 1. He says, you, you don't come to scriptures, you don't come to the word of God, and it's not like a, a cursory glance in the mirror, and then you just turn away and forget everything that you've read. You've missed the process if that's your approach to God's truth and God's scriptures. He says, it's like examining yourself. I won't ask how much time the average one of us spends looking in the mirror, but I can guarantee it's more than just a cursory glance for most of us at least. But you want to examine. You want to make sure that you're looking okay and the, the lipstick's on right and whatever it else it is that you do in the mirror. Make sure you're looking okay. There's no porridge in your beard. If I had, you know, could grow a big beard, I'd know exactly what that was like. It's not supposed to be a cursory glance. It's supposed to be a glance that you're looking into to reveal the reality of the things that need to be recalibrated and changed. Let it define, let it redefine, let it recalibrate our hearts. Now, we, we discovered when we uh, moved out to the property that we're now on very quickly, and we've got our own water source there. We collect our water from the... Uh, the rain, obviously the gutter, guttering system, and that's the water that we use to drink and to, to shower and everything else. And it was 
very obvious to us that in order for that to be a sustainable solution, we need to have a good filtration system. In fact, when we first moved into the house, the filtration system was not working correctly. So very quickly we rectified that, and I could not believe, I mean, you'd think that it was relatively pure, the water that was coming through. But it's amazing how much gunk gets caught up there and birds come past and leave you know, nice deposits and droppings. And it's, it's amazing how much gets collected in, in just that system. And the moment I put a filter in, it was surprising, it was shocking to me just how much there was that needed to be left out in order for the purity of what we did need to come through. You know, this is a season where we need to make sure our filters are working properly. And that requires examination. That requires, in the natural, replacing filters every now and then. Are your filters functioning? Not everything coming through is good. It's not all good. In fact, most of it these days is not. It needs to be filtered. If we're to be noble, if we're to be a people like the Bereans, we've got to be open, open mind. We've got to be seeking the Lord, but not just receiving everything, filtering through the things that need to be filtered out and grabbing a hold of the things that need to be grabbed a hold of. As I mentioned earlier, it's a passage that often I pray for us because it's in the Scriptures all the time. And it's throughout the book of Revelation as... Jesus himself, he says, let him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So the the two simple questions as the worship team comes back up. Simply this, this morning, how hard are we leaning? What is it that we're leaning on in the midst of this season? Are we leaning on our own understanding? We're leaning on our own capacity to work these things through? How hard are we leaning And number two, how well are we listening? We need to be heavy leaners and we need to be good listeners. Listening with filters activated to be able to block out all the rubbish that needs to be blocked out and grab a hold of that which we need to grab a hold of in our hearts and lives. And let me just finish with this one story as we draw this morning to a close. I actually spent some time yesterday in the the local hospital. I'm okay, just to let you know. But I did have a a little bit of a a run-in with a piece of metal. I had this issue during the latter portion of the week where my eye was particularly sore. And of course, being a a bit of a bloke, it was causing irritation. I thought it'll be fine. So I'd left it and slept, slept very badly because it was, you know, giving me grief. And then the next day, it had been some 24, 48 hours of just dealing with this irritation. And my wife, who initially had sort of said, look, I think you should get this checked out. Like, this is, you're not normally someone who complains about things, but your eyes all red and it's bloodshot. And I really think you should need, you know, you should, should go and get it checked out. And I said, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's just a little, you know, it's fine. It's no big deal. And then as it got worse and as it got worse and certainly wasn't resolving itself and it was now the weekend, of course, the, the doctor's surgeries were closed. She said, look, if you don't drive yourself down the hospital, I'm going to put you and all the kids in the car and I'm going to drive you down there myself. You've got to get this issue, issue checked out. So somewhat reluctantly, I hopped in the car. I headed down to, to Queen Bean Hospital. And as soon as I walked in, they, 
had one look at the eye and they said, oh, well, we'd, we'd better have a look at that. And took me out the back to where the doctor was and put the little microscope in the eye. And he's like, I, I, I don't know how you've been living with this because there is literally, I mean, the story's growing here, but, you know, there's this five foot of steel that's like embedded in your eye. He said, I've, I've you know, very rarely seen a chunk of metal this big in anyone's eye. So we've got to, we've got to deal with this and get it out. And I can assure you it was a very unpleasant process as they put antiseptic drops in there and fished around with cotton buds and that didn't work. And then he was digging around with a, with a needle, poking and prodding, trying to, to dig this hunk of metal out of my eye. In fact, he said at one stage, he's like, look, I'll give it one more go with a needle and the next step is I'm going to have to get the drill. I did not want to know what the drill was and I wasn't sure that my, my eye would survive the process. But we did. We removed this, this hunk of metal from my eye and it's still a little sore today but much better than than what it was. In fact, he said, look, you need to go home and thank your wife. Don't tell her that, by the way. But, but he said, if, if you'd left that much longer, there was that much steel sitting in your eye, then it would have become infected. There would have been all sorts of other complications. And I feel like that's what's well, certainly the invitation this morning. And I'm not talking about people with hunks of metal in their eye, but I have this sense that for me, this is the case for many of us, there's these irritations. It's a season where there are irritations and sometimes it's not even something we've intentionally exposed ourselves to. Like I had been cutting some metal and you know, I'm not always the most safety conscious, let's leave it there. And I did have, I often, often wear a pair of glasses of some description, but even wearing glasses, the, the metal shards can come in and no, no fault of anybody's. But it's a season where there can be these little irritations that if we don't deal with them, then they can result in significant problems down the line. And it's something that, as I said, is, has just resonated with me as not, not only examining my own life, but being those people for others around us. Because say, you know what, I think we need to pray about that. Obviously, there can be some stirring at times that's the Lord. There can be other stirring that's just stuff. It's hunks of metal sitting in your eye that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be resolved. We've got to pray about that. We've got to go to the great physician. We've got to make sure that some of these things that are abiding in and taking root are not going to fester and cause significant issues down the track. If you want to pray for us, would you just close your eyes, wherever it is that you are at home, as we conclude this morning. But Father, we thank you that that you are at work in the midst of this season. We pray, Lord, that you would be our guide, that you would lead us, and that you'd help us in the midst of what we're facing to be a people who don't default to just leaning on our own wisdom, our capacity to figure out. We We don't need to hear from anyone else. Cause this to be a season, Lord, where we know what it is to lean heavily upon you to trust in you in all our ways. Help it also to be a season, Lord, where we know what it is to listen well. Give us activated filters that can process through, that can leave out the rubbish and grab a hold of the things we need to grab a hold of. And particularly this morning, if there's even one of us, or perhaps many of us, and we know there's things that have taken root, there's things that have festered in our hearts and our lives and our attitudes, things that perhaps we bought into that life. We can just deal, we can work this through. We can, you know, we can, we can put up with it. Lord, I just have that, that sense this morning that you're giving us an invitation 
are saying, well, just, just let me take a look. Let me take a closer look. Let me examine. Let me get rid of anything that needs to be removed, that there'd be health and there'd be wholeness and that there'd be freedom. So I pray, Lord, even as we conclude this morning, that your spirit would do what you love to do. Examine our hearts. Show us anything in our lives that's not pleasing in your sight. And may you, the great physician, come and do the the removal and the surgery. Come and encourage our hearts. Come and bring joy and life where that's needed. That we might walk with a passionate joy in our hearts. With a song of praise. And with hope burning brightly, I pray. In Jesus' wonderful